David, how's this? Is Beth? Hi, Beth. This is Julianne McGarry from Catalyst for Payment Reform. How are you doing this afternoon? Good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. You know, um, I'm calling you because you have been my mentor and guide. Uh, CPR has launched into this Medicaid managed care research on model contracts and payment reform. And I have been so deep in the weeds on uh, Medicaid managed care contracts, and I feel like I'm you know, somewhat missing the forest for the trees. And I was hoping that on this call, you could give me a little bit more of the background and also um, the 10,000 foot view of the sort of macro trends that you're seeing in Medicaid managed care and payment reform. But before we get started, I have to tell you that we have an audience listening in today on our call. So for their sake, could you start out by introducing yourself and your work? Uh, sure. I'm Beth Waldman. I'm a senior consultant at Baylet Health Purchasing, and we uh, consult uh, mostly with state Medicaid agencies, but also with uh, health plans and providers to improve uh, the overall purchase of health care in the marketplace. Um, before I came to Baylet in 2007, I believe, I was the Massachusetts Medicaid director under Governor Mitt Romney and uh, had been with the agency for a total of 12 and a half years. So you've been on the inside and now um, on the outside looking in. So um, given your experience in this space, can you tell us a high level, how does Medicaid managed care operate? Sure. Well, it's, I think, important to understand that there's significant federal requirements um, that states uh, must meet with their Medicaid managed care contracts. It's really important to sort of know that you're working within a, a federal construct and that there's a managed care rule that needs to be followed. Typically, states conduct a competitive procurement to identify a set number of managed care organizations to help them administer care for their members. And states pay those MCOs a per member per month capitation rate that must be actuarially sound. And there's lots of actuaries, obviously, that get involved in, in what the right rate is based on the risk of the population. The MCOs are required to provide a set of comprehensive benefits to Medicaid beneficiaries for that capitated amount, and they're also required to actually make payments to the providers and um, do other things such as care management or other services that support um, either their beneficiaries or their providers or both. In some states, they don't have a competitive procurement, but they do allow any plan that meets all of their requirements, including all of the federal requirements, to participate in the model. Um, and then the final thing I'd say about how it works overall at a high level is that typically we're talking about Medicaid managed care organizations, MCOs, but from the Medicaid perspective, managed care could actually be, uh, is actually broader than that. A managed care entity could include an ACO, an accountable care organization. It could include a primary care case management model where the state is typically paying a fee-for-service rate to its providers and then pays a small per member per month to primary care doctors to sort of coordinate care. So when we're talking about managed care generally, it could be broader than the MCO construct. Right. 
And so it sounds like, you know, even from the beginning, these managed care organizations are paid a capitated rate where they're accountable for delivering services and support to members and um, they're in sort of a risk-based contract. But since the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2014, we've started to see states mandate that these managed care organizations contract with providers under value-oriented purchasing deals or um, various payment reform models. And I'm wondering if you could comment on what you've seen broadly in the industry and uh, sort of in particular, how you've seen it evolve over time. Sure. So, you know, it's important to note that over 75% of Medicaid beneficiaries nationwide are covered through a Medicaid-managed care program. And so it's not a surprise that Medicaid managed care organizations would play an important role in this delivery system and payment reform change. And I think it's important to note that when we're talking about payment reform, we really want to make sure that um, the focus is not payment reform um, on its own, but really payment reform for another end. And, And namely, that's to improve outcomes for beneficiaries while reducing or maintaining costs for states. So um, I think it's important to keep that in mind as we think about the strategies that states are putting into place. And and states are really um, varied in terms of how how they're putting initiatives together. Sometimes um, states, particularly those that have had additional federal funds through either through uh, the state innovation model SIM or the district program, have uh, been pushing their um, providers into particular types of payment reform models, while in other states they're really just encouraging more value-based payment to happen, and that could either be through just that, just encouragement, or it could be an incentive for both the MCOs and the providers um, to to be involved in um, value-based payment and requiring a certain amount of uh, members or providers to be within um, particular payment-type models. I think that states are sort of all over the map, and um, some states, uh, like I said, provide um, more uh, specific models for plans to follow um, and just sort of use the plans either as an implementation method or some in some states as a pass-through for uh, payment, but really do the um, programs on their own, while other states really give the MCOs some flexibility to design their own models. And, you know, in looking at across the country at all these different models that are evolving at different paces, have you seen or do you have a point of view on what types of contracting strategies are more or less effective? Or what advice, really, would you give to a state who is looking to launch their own value-based contracting through their MCO? You know, that's a great question. I think that um, that it's really too early to know what models are working. I think when you talk to states, they really still feel like they're in a demonstration period, either because they're just getting their models up and running Um, or even models that have been around for a little bit, providers are just getting to a level of readiness where you can 
tell whether or not a model is working. I think in terms of what a particular state should do, it really is very particular to that state and the healthcare market in terms of what is the best model and what's the best way to go. Some state cultures are very focused on um, giving flexibilities to their plans and their providers and determining um, which way to go and, and um, embrace a, a more free market approach, while other states are interested in having standardized models. Um, that could be because they don't think the plans will do it by themselves. It could be because they want to ensure that there's um, not um, additional burden on providers as they put these models in place, and if each plan has a slightly different model, that can be um, quite burdensome to providers. Um, I do think sort of across the board, states have tried to get plans to have aligned quality measures that they're looking at across uh, across their performance generally, but particularly in value-based payment uh, models so that that's not an additional burden for the providers. Yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, uh, Medicaid has the big footprint of being, you know, the only the only official payer of dollars in this line of business, right? But um, at the same time, because each state operates independently, they can they have more flexibility than Medicare to design for the needs and the culture of the states they operate in. So in some ways, it's sort of like the intersection of that Venn diagram between Medicare with its enormous footprint, but it's, you know, standardization and commercial, which is, you know, sort of all over the map, every plan out there for its own. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I do think that you do see some movement in Medicaid, at least in the early stages, to, to model some of the payment, payment strategies um, based on uh, Medicare models. So the early accountable care models um, that you see in states often um, model some of the um, MSSP programs. They are very different populations, though. So um, the models that you have in place um, for the Medicare population would be very different than um, ultimately what you would need to sort of move quality forward um, or contain costs in the Medicaid population. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so then just kind of generally, I don't know if this is unfair, an unfair question to ask you, but when you think about, you know, across the 40 or so states that are infusing their, their model contracts with value-based payment models, do you have a sense um, of, the, of the temperature, the, the level of excitement across these states about um, what payment reform can do to them? Do you feel like it's peaked, hasn't reached its peak yet, it's just getting started? What's your sense of the enthusiasm? for states in, in venturing in this direction? I think that's a great question. I mean, I, the efforts are definitely still ongoing. As I said earlier, you know, for a lot of states, they're still uh, in a demonstration mode and there's little outcome data yet to show the effectiveness of these different initiatives. Um, but I do believe that all states um, agree that it's important to move away from a fee-for-service model at the provider level to one that's focusing on paying for value. Um, and so I think you'll continue to see more of it happening. Uh, most states that have um, done a fair amount of work here have, have really started with their um, primary care marketplace. 
their primary care providers and um, really see PCMH as a foundational piece of doing sort of broader um, and more in-depth payment reform. But states, as they keep going, um, find that it's important to also engage other types of providers, specialty providers, behavioral health providers, um, nursing facilities, other long-term care providers. So um, there's still a long way to go in the marketplace. I'd say that there's, again, been a fair amount of work around um, PCMHs. States for a long time have been focusing on um, pay for performance. We're just really, I think, at the beginning of seeing states move towards shared savings models. And at this point, there's very little in terms of the take-up of shared risk. Um, and so I think that's something that we'll see more over time as providers have more confidence and readiness to, to move in that direction. Well, it'll be always exciting to watch that unfold. Well, Beth, thank you so much for, for taking this time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And I just want to say to our audience listening in, if you'd like to hear more from Beth, she's actually a featured panelist on our upcoming virtual summit where we're going to be exploring how Medicaid state agencies have been using their managed care contracts as instruments or agents of change in accelerating value-based payments. So um, that virtual summit is going to be held on Tuesday, December 10th from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And I hope you'll join us, Beth. I'm really looking forward to talking to you again in about a month. Great. Thanks.